stop us. And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is with us, then what could stand against? And what could stand against? Sing it out, our God. draw your attention to the screens and uh, let's meditate on these prayer requests before Blake comes and, and prays for us. we come to you now and in our minds and in our thinking we can't imagine people living around our world that's not heard the name of Jesus but there are brothers and sisters around the world that's never heard the most precious name and God we pray for them today and we pray for our brothers and sisters that are hiding in places today worshiping because they are, uh, are worshiping illegal and Father God I pray that you would give them an extra ounce of of courage, uh, 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 just strength as they go through this very hard time. We take it for granted in our country, and we thank you so much for the, for the men and women who fought for us through the years that have uh, allowed us to have this freedom, God. But uh, again, it's a freedom that we have that many countries do not have. So God, thank you that we do have the freedom. Father God, I thank you for the Word of God, and I thank you for the power of the Word of God. And Father God, I pray that as organizations and groups continue to translate your word that it will get to every tongue, tribe, and nation. Father God, that, that boys and girls and men and women will come into a relationship with you. So God, I just pray that you would pour out your spirit among every corner of this earth and do what you do best and draw people into a relationship with you. 
God, we thank you for this time today. We thank you again for the freedom we have to come worship. And I pray as the word is spoken, as the words are sung today, God, that it'll be uplifting, that'll bring glory and honor to you, and that, God, we can walk away here changed because we've encountered the living Jesus Christ. So, God, speak to our, through our pastor today and just guide his thoughts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Blake. Um, do uh, be aware uh, that we've got these uh, cards in the pew backs in front of you there. We've got the connection card, and so we'd love to know if you're visiting with us, maybe for the first or second time. And uh, we also have prayer request cards, so be sure and fill those out as needed. And um, you, can put the, uh, you can put the visitor's card uh, and the prayer request card in, in the offering plate later, or you can take the, uh, the connection card to the Connection Center and find out a little bit more about the church and get some more information out there if you'd like. So either way. Um, today is also, not today specifically, but here in a few days, we're going to have a very special day. Uh, do we have any veterans with us? Would you guys and ladies please stand? God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Amen. Amen, amen. Happy Veterans Day to you and your families. Well, let's continue to sing about uh, God's grace. I just about made the mistake of saying this song, uh, This is Amazing Grace, is uh, possibly a spinoff of the greatest grace song probably ever, uh, Amazing Grace. No, it's really a spinoff of scriptural truth that God's grace is amazing. Amen? So let's sing together. This is Amazing Grace. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness Whose love is mighty and so much stronger The King of glory, the King above all Who shakes the whole earth in holy thunder, who makes us breathless in awe and wonder, the King of glory, the King above all kings. This is amazing grace, this is unfailing love, that you would take my name. This is amazing grace, this is unfailing love, that you would take my place. 
worship of the ages. These words of revelation, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. The King who conquered the grave, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy, worthy, worthy. This is amazing grace. This is a sing about the love of God, the grace of God, and, and calm it down just a little bit. I almost, I almost raised my left side, and you would have seen the Spirit.
we come once again to a crossroads where we know we are uh, in need of giving back to you and we feel so empty-handed compared to what you've given us. But Lord, help us to give faithfully, help us to give joyfully. Uh, Lord, it's not the amount that we give, it's the heart that we give it with and that we're giving in accordance to what you blessed us with proportionately. And so, Lord, uh, help us not to compare ourselves with anybody else, but just to stand before your throne and say, Lord, this is a sincere and, and honest gift that I can give you today. And, Lord, we know that each and every gift is going to go to further your kingdom, and we thank you for that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Yeah. 
Give the Lord praise. Amen. Um, let that truth just burn in your spirit for a moment. And let's sing it silently. Or sing it uh, a cappella. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Well, good morning. Our scripture text for this morning will be found in Hebrews chapter 13. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 11. If you'll make your way there, let's honor the Lord in the reading of the scripture. 
If you will recall, back on Mother's Day, we looked at Hebrews 11, 23 through 20, uh, actually verse 23. But today we're going to see verses 24 through 26. This is a reading of God's Word. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Have you ever bumped into someone or greeted someone and, and they said, you said to them, how are you doing? And they said, I'm living the dream, man. Just living the dream. You ever had that happen to you? You've probably said it, haven't you? Just living the dream. Now, that's not the way I ever respond because my mind is racing at that moment to think, okay, what kind of dream am I actually living? What does that actually look like? So the title of the sermon is Moses, and then semicolon, uh, or colon, refusing the American dream. So that, I guess it's kind of a loaded question when you ask someone how they're doing, and they say, well, I'm living the dream. Well, exactly what does that mean? Are you being facetious? Because we would all say before we go to the polls on Tuesday, I'm not sure any of us are living the American dream, okay? And we think about that terminology, or are we content in our walk with Christ and we are identifying with him and we're saying just live in the dream because I belong to Jesus and I believe you know there's a lot of different things we could say about that particular phrase living the dream we have been challenged over the past 10 years <clears throat> to rethink how we respond to that terminology the American dream and I'm thankful for a few, a few influential writers who have challenged us not to pursue the American dream at the expense of missing God's purpose for your life. That, that's, that is where I'm trying to get you to focus this morning. Even in our American educational system, it has an undercurrent that goes something like this. The reason you want to do well is so that you can get to the best college. And the reason you want to get to the best college is so that you can get the best degree. And the reason you want to get the best degree is so that you can make a lot of money. And if you can earn a lot of money, then you can go out and live the American dream. Now, there is something about the American dream that is rooted in what's called the Protestant work ethic. So it kind of goes like this. Work hard and you will succeed. Is anybody in here not in favor of working hard? Shame on you if you said, yes, I'm in favor of not working hard. The Bible would tell us that there's absolutely nothing wrong with working hard and enjoying the fruit of that work and also God's good gifts that go with it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. This is, in fact, what is spoken of often in the book of Ecclesiastes. Yet for most people in America, the idea of the American dream goes much further than just working hard. For most Americans, and we know this, it's more like this, pursue with all your might a better, richer, happier life through material success. We know that that's the case 
with the majority of our country, regardless of age, what would you do if you had, you could have the American dream right at your fingertips? With all that that actually means, you could have a better, richer, happier dream through material success. You could have all the power, all the money, and the position. Now, if that's appealing to you, then pay attention to Moses. Okay? Pay attention to Moses this morning. Now, I know our kids, they, they kind of look like donuts today. They're glazed over. Why? Because they had a huge discipleship now weekend. Okay? And you, you learned about apologetics. And y'all had a wonderful weekend. Parents are tired. Everybody's tired. But I wanted to preach something that was relevant for you. To think about the reproach of Christ being much better a reward than anything this world has to offer you. So I wanted that to take place. But you adults, don't sit there so pious and think, oh, we're not after any kind of success. We all have to wear this in many, many ways. And so I, this is an appeal for all of us to look into Moses' life. Now, I know, the, I know the straightforward thinking that we should always use when it comes to the world and the things of the world. Our family devotion for a few weeks was out of 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone, this is not strong, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And here it is. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Whoever does the will of God. Do you notice the similar similarity? With Moses, he refused certain things. He refused the fleeting pleasures of sin and made a Greek word calculated choice to choose Christ over the world. So, back on Mother's Day, we talked about the faith of Moses' parents. And I know it is huge. And we, don't, we, we think back of how Moses' parents obeyed the Lord, putting him into a basket, set him in the Nile River, and they did so by faith. But we don't often talk about the faith of Moses while he was in Egypt. We're thinking about famous Moses, right? Leading God's people out of, the, out of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea, uh, instituting the law given to him by God. We don't usually think like this. And you're going to see later all of those things, if you read through Hebrews 11, 23 through 29, is about Moses, okay? And if we could say, if we could give one overarching sweeping thing, it would be that faith in God enables us to obey God in all details of life. You see Moses' parents, you see Moses in Egypt, you see Moses crossing the Red Sea, you see Moses develop, uh, instituting the Passover, and in all these cases, you see Moses holding on to the title deed of faith and calculating and making decisions that honored God in spite of what it may cost him. That's what you see in the life of Moses. So, this is really about Moses' lifetime and faith before he reaches manhood. Okay? He's not living in the land of promise yet, but he's down in Egypt. And so, here's an opportunity for Moses to have everything the Egyptian world had to offer him. He had it right at his fingertips. Everything the Egyptian dream had to offer. But yet we see Moses calculating by faith. Just think of the words here, the terminology. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God 
considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth. Look to the eternal reward. And not something that you can gain in this world that will be here for a moment and gone the next. So here is the faith of Moses. Now notice how it starts. It starts with him becoming or maturing as a man. Uh, let me draw your attention to Acts chapter 7. You must know this by heart because the pages are not turning. Right? Acts chapter 7. I hope you do know this by heart. Perhaps one of the greatest sermons ever preached was Stephen's sermon in Acts chapter 7. And listen to what he says about Moses. Acts 7.20 At this time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, what does that mean young people? Three months when he was exposed, when he was cut off from his people and placed in a river. Think about this. Three months old. Why? Because the edict of the Pharaoh that all babies should die, all male babies. Here, here he's exposed. He's placed into the river and listen to the word of the Lord. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up and as her own son. Check this out. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds. So Moses was raised up where? In Pharaoh's court. He was nurtured in Pharaoh's household. But that's not where he spent his first three or four years. Do you remember the story? We have someone who can nurse this baby that you've just found. And he was returned right to the home, right into the arms of his own mom. The weaning process today that we have is not like then. So he would have been turned over and adopted by Pharaoh's daughter at the age of four, most likely. By the sovereign grace of God, for those first three and four years, don't you know uh, Amram and Jochebed were pouring in the scripture, letting him know what to believe and what about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. After he was weaned, he was taken from his parents and he, he became a member of Pharaoh's household. If you think sending your kid off to kindergarten is tough, imagine this scenario. You put him in a basket, you get him back, and then you have to turn him over again. And so this is what's going on in their lives. The time finally came when Pharaoh's daughter would claim Moses as her own. And don't you think this was equally as painful as when they placed him in a basket and they by faith trusted God. Yet here again, faith will triumph. God had been faithful to his word in, this, in the past and he'll be faithful to his word in the future. And they lived by faith in the invisible God and the promises of God. So the same faith that preserved baby Moses in the Nile River would also be the same faith that would preserve him from contamination in the Egyptian way of life. So they sent him away. However, you know that the nightly prayers ascended forth to our God that our Father would protect, shield nurture Moses' faith even in the midst of living in the Egyptian court. So roughly at age 40, okay, by Acts 7, he would leave his parents' environment, protective home of faith, and then he goes into Pharaoh's household with no faith at all. Check this out. No faith at all. Stephen puts it like this. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all, check this out, the wisdom of Egyptians. And was mighty in words and deeds. In other words, from about the age of four, 
Moses was immersed into an educational system and a culture that was antithetical to the ways of God. It was contrary to everything his mom and dad had taught him. Scholars tell us by tradition and archaeology the composite of what Moses would have learned. Have you ever thought about that? What was the, what would Moses, what would he have learned? What, what are all these things in the Egyptian way of living? Well, it's possible because of archaeology and tradition for us to know what he learned. He would have learned geometry. How many of you kids love that? Down with geometry. Kind of up with trigonometry because I survived. But down with geometry. There's all these postulates and theorems. And I would have rather shot basketball than learned them. You understand? So, but you, you get behind if you're not careful. Don't do that, by the way. Learn those postulates, right? Okay, astronomy, art, architecture, and even mechanical engineering would have been taught to him. He would have received the finest of the finest, check this out, classic liberal arts education. He would have also been trained in the religion and theology of Egypt. He would have learned about all the superstitions, all the pantheon of gods that God Almighty singularly set those up, one through nine, in the, in the plagues and said, I'll show you who's God. You think you have all these superstitions and you think you have all this stuff, but I'm going to show you the reality. So, here is him being trained with all these pantheon of gods. He would have gone from the loving, God-centered, Yahweh-oriented faith of his parents to the godless system of Egypt. It was 180 degrees opposite of what he had learned just a few years before that. Humanly speaking, how did Moses keep the faith? Just consider him going up from grammar school to middle school and eventually high school. Maybe even he went to an Egyptian university. Here he is in college in the land of Egypt learning from uh, not from faithful followers of the living God, but from pagan after pagan after pagan. And he didn't even have the Baptist student union on campus like we had. The passage said when he became fully mature. In other words, he had the best education the world could offer. Tremendous abilities. Endless opportunities. If he would not have been in line for the actual position of Pharaoh, right? How many of you watched Prince of Egypt? Some of that's probably not, doesn't jihad with scripture, but yes, he could have, he could have been the, the pharaoh. But there's no question, if he would have just stayed quiet, he could have been in the line for whatever position he wanted. In other words, he had the Egyptian dream right at his fingertips. How could he possibly resist this? Let's say he's roughly 40 years of old when all this takes, of age when it takes place. And then the next passage says, uh-oh, he kills an Egyptian. Right? So, I didn't say his faith was perfect. But here's the deal. How in the world did he make it through? I would remind you all, parents, how critical it is to train your children in the Word from the time they're born to the time they're four. I'm just telling you, folks. The early years in Moses' life were used by God to inoculate him from the religious error of Egypt. And actually keep a fire burning in his heart to the only God that does exist and for his own people. Listen, when he became a man, he made a choice. Notice the text. I want to suggest to you that he already made that decision earlier in his life before this section ever takes place. But at the age of 40, in the wording of the Greek grammar, he's making a resolution. And you have to appreciate this, young people. Right? Listen. 
He's making a choice. And the choice is right before him. Power, pleasures, riches, Egyptian dream. What was that put up against an oppressed people? I mean, these people were making bricks. Why do you want to align with anybody making bricks? He could actually taste the Egyptian dream. He could see it. And on the other hand, he's got these downtrodden, oppressed people who have faith in an invisible God. What did they cling to? It wasn't something tangible. It was the promises that this, this invisible God had already made. It was relying on the truth of the word of God. This was his choice. So Moses at some point had to make up his mind who he was. Young people, make up your mind who you are. Make up your mind who you belong to. Would he become this rich, powerful person in line for prestige and power in Egypt? Or would he become a man or a woman of faith? Either one. We see all kinds of examples in the word of God in Hebrews about that. Would he, would he live his life at God's disposal? Would he be an Israelite or would he be an Egyptian? Please note, this, this is important, folks. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. It could be the young people coming off of discipleship now. But it also could be any age and any stage of life. The choice Moses made was in antithesis. Okay? Just think about this. It was totally opposite of what he had been plunged into. Okay? We know this. He had to make up his mind what he was going to be and who he was going to be. There was no middle ground here. He couldn't be an Egyptian alike. I just coined that word, right? You know what I'm saying? He couldn't be both. Why am I making such a big deal about this? Because we live in an age and a church culture that says, of course you can be both. Of course you can do both. Well, by, the Bible says you can't. You can't be both. I've had people sit in my office and say to me, well, I know it's not right. <laughs> and when they say that, you know, they're on, you know, hook, line, and sing. I know it's not right, but this is how I feel. It's okay to live together. Well, folks, let me just tell you something. You can be a fornicator or you can be a Christian, but you can't be both. Are you listening? As a child of God, you can't be both. Something will resonate in your mind that what it is is ungodly. You, you can't be married and act single. Those two things are mutually exclusive. Now, I'm not saying that you can't be saved and a fornicator and, and do those things, but you will repent as a child of God. You won't stay in that situation. Is that understood? Because the Bible makes it unequivocally clear that you can't have it both ways as a child of God. you got to make up your mind who you are. You either are going to take the reproach of Christ and live like that, or you're going to say, bring on the pleasures of this world. I want my pie cake, and I want to eat it too. Right? Y'all looking at me kind of strange. At some point, Moses said, I am a man of faith. And I am a man of God. I will be a servant of God like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then our passage tells us something. By faith, that means he made a decision. Look, he refused. Is there some things in the Christian life that we have to refuse? Are there some things in the world that we have to look at and say, I refuse? He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Talk about getting kicked out of the family. Now think about it, folks. For 36 years, some odd, some odd years... He's identified 
as Pharaoh's daughter. She adopted him. It's not that he just denounced the adoption. It has more to do with the fact that he made a decision that he couldn't identify with that way of living. He couldn't identify with that, that kind of group. So you'll see how this plays out. But at this particular point, it's a decision to deny position, power, prestige, and privilege that would come with being Pharaoh's daughter. Please understand, to get the Egyptian dream, all he had to do was keep quiet. All he had to do was keep going in the direction that he was going. Folks, do y'all think this was a cheap sacrifice? It wasn't. To know that you could have every single thing you could ever want in the richest, one of the richest kingdoms ever in the existence of humanity. You could have anything you wanted, and yet, he didn't do that. All that men usually hold dear. Are y'all listening? Look at me, guys. All the things that, you, that men usually hold dear, he renounced. He refused those things. No cheap compromise. No cheap sacrifice. It involved comfort, competence, earthly prosperity like no other. It involved all that that we hold dear. And he came to a point where he denied himself. And he did so in Christ-like denial and made the decision, I will be a man of God. All of us know that we are self-deceiving creatures by nature. Hello, aren't we? We have in us a built-in self-deception system. We're always seeking to justify ourselves. We seek to justify actions, attitudes, motives. We want ourselves to be seen in the best light possible. Even secularists will admit to the self-deceptive nature of humans. One book written a few years ago was called, I Told Me So. Huh? This is usually all we need to justify our actions, our attitudes, and our motives. But I want you to appreciate Moses' dilemma. Could he have been self-adjudicating? Could he have said, uh, I've got every uh, chance in this world to justify the fact that I'm going to stay right here and be Pharaoh's daughter? Could he have done that? We know so. It would have been extremely easy for him to say something like this. I could do a lot of good for my people if I remain the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I could do a lot of good for my people if I stay undercover. I could use my position and my power and my prestige. I could help them out. Maybe he even thought about Joseph. You know, Joseph was down here in Egypt. And he served on Potiphar's court. And he did just absolutely fine. The major difference was they always knew that Joseph was an Israelite. Right? This is a different scenario. Yet look at how God used him. God used Joseph. He can use me. Moses would have to retain his allegiance as Pharaoh's daughter. The fact is there was something inside of Moses. Now listen to this, kids. That would not allow him to make such a compromise of conscience. Whereby he could pretend to be an Egyptian all the while remaining an Israelite on the inside. You know, we like to fly undercover, don't we? I'm a believer. I love Jesus. But let's let our faith be camouflaged. Let's let it be secret service-like. Let's fly under the radar so that we don't, in essence, wear our faith on our sleeves. (sighs) I'm begging you not to do that. I'm begging you to live it all on the outside for Christ. Let what's on the inside be on the outside and live it for the Lord. Moses would have had to retain an allegiance to Pharaoh's daughter, but that's not what he did. 
He did not deceive himself into taking the easy road by justifying it by things he could have done and just stayed there and remained. Nope. The question is, where did he get the determination to stand with the people of God and identify, this text says, with Christ? Y'all do know that, that Moses wrote the word of God and lived a long time before Jesus. Yet this text says he owned the reproach of Christ. So, these are my what, what gave him the faith to say, these are my people and this is my God? The answer is simple. He was a man of faith. A person of faith is a person who lives with the understanding that he has the title deed of faith in his hand and he lives on the things of evidences not yet seen. Do you need to see it? Flip over to chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. And here is Moses holding on to that title deed. Why? Because God had changed him on the inside. He had changed his heart. And so... Here's what's going on. A person of faith does not calculate based upon what he can see, but he calculates based upon what he cannot see. And he's calculating based on the Word of God. He walks by faith, not by sight. There's no question that what you see in verse 23 about his parents raising him up had to instill that into his heart. But they not only instilled in him an atmosphere of faith, but that courage. Where is the courage today for men and women to step out in faith? Young people, can you tell me a list of kids at Ozark High School that live their faith out and before their people? If you can give me a list, we need to start praying for that list here at this church. Right? Don't look at me so strangely. This is how serious it's getting in our country. We need to get tired of mediocrity. We need to get sick and tired of business as usual and start being the people of God. What's wrong with our country? The people of God. You know, it's not the world that needs revival. They have to be given new birth. Who needs revival? The church. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, seek my face. Look, don't let the ease and the slip and the, the slippery part of our society grip a hold of you. And you, and you it's... Vance Haver used to say the world is so churchy and the church is so worldly you can't tell the two apart. We ought to be distinguished. There ought to be something that shows. There's no way we can make a difference out there if there's not a difference in here. Folks, I'm begging you to see this. Understand the magnitude of what Moses is doing. You can have this world and its riches. Give me Jesus. That's, that's the sermon this morning. That's the sermon. You can have all this world has to offer. Just give me Jesus. A person of faith does not calculate based upon what he can see. He calculates based upon what he cannot see. And that's not something that's in you just as a virtue. That's a gift from God. Faith is a gift from God. So they not only instilled in him an atmosphere of faith, but that courage. His parents must have understood that in a short time, He'd be placed in a situation where he would have to begin to make right decisions for God, right? In the end, all of the educational system of Egypt could not root out the faith that was in that boy's heart. Isn't that good? There's no question that he was challenged by all this. And there's a possibility there that he would abandon the invisible God. We see it every day, don't we, folks? Look at me. This is real. 
This is true. We see teenagers leaving this church year after year after year after year and they abandon what they know to be true or what they live to be true for X amount of years and they abandon the invisible God. Why? Because he's not tangible to them. Why? Because he's not, he's not giving them what they think the American dream is. Think about this for a moment, folks. This is the perception. This is what's going on. So if it all came down to a logical argument, the professor at MSU is going to win it every day. Are y'all listening? If you're given a logical argument based upon material success, but there's something so powerful that the Holy Spirit instills in us, given to us by our mom and dad, and the grace of God in us, and the Spirit of God working, that drills something so deep down in your heart that moves your affections and your emotions, and then you're challenged like Moses, even though you're one of the smartest people God ever made. You understand how smart this guy was. But his logic did not move him away from God. His logic moved him to God. Why? Because he held the title deed of faith in his hand. He couldn't turn it loose. And it got so deep down in Moses' heart that there's no way he could look at that way of life and say, you know what? I choose that over Christ. He couldn't do it. Y'all okay? Kind of quiet. Faith in God was so deep inside this man Think about this. All the intellectual, anti-God, educational system could not be dismissed or could be dismissed by Moses, right? So, could you see Moses sitting in Biology 101? And Dr. Egyptian professor gets up there and he says, there were thousands of mutations and all of a sudden we're now building pyramids. And here Moses is writing these hieroglyphics and he writes in the margin of the notes, Bull! Right? That's not the way the Bible says, nor the way my parents taught me. They told me of the God of our fathers, of Abraham, when he was called out of the Ur of the Chaldeans, and he made us a people of himself. All of that learning could not rip out what mom and dad instilled in his heart. How does faith make a decision? Moses saw this through the eyes of faith. We're going to see what happens when he lives the promises of God. If I continue through Hebrews 11 on Moses down the line. But it was faith in him that actually calculated what was better. Y'all see the text. We think we're living for the reward now. But if you're living for the reward now, you're going to miss it. He knew full well that the reward, he calculated, he thought about this. What God has to offer is so much better than anything this world has to offer. So it's the title deed. It's the certainty of things not seen. And this is how he made the decision. Here's a young man who chose who he would be and what he would be. We need this. Young people, look at me. We need this. My mom and dad raised me to say, you bear the burden name. In other words, when you do something, uh, it reflects on us. Well, I want you to remember something. You belong to Jesus. If you're a professing believer, if you identify with him, you've been bought with a price, live the name, bear the name, accept the name, identify with the name, and let the reproach come. Because that's what Moses did. Can you imagine going through what Moses went through from the time he made the decision not to be Pharaoh's daughter to the time that he did kill the Egyptian in in defense of how one was getting treated? We could preach on that all day long, but just think about what this guy was living in. He truly had the attitude that you can have this world, but give me Jesus. George Beverly Shea. How many of you 
down through the years watched a Billy Graham crusade. Billy Graham, uh, George Beverly didn't write the song. Rhea Miller did. But it's called, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than worldly applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. The last verse, than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dread sway. Well, that sounds just like Hebrews 11, right? I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords. Would you? Would you choose Christ over all of that? How about us? Have you made up your mind and resolved to yourself in the sense of who you are and who you belong to? John Owen said it like this. What we are in our solitudes is all that we are, nothing more and nothing less. Have you settled once and for all before God to be a follower of Jesus Christ? We forget this. Listen, y'all looking? Listen to me. I'm saved. I've got my fire insurance. I'm on my way to heaven. Life is good. Well, the Bible says, if any man would come after me, he will deny himself, pick up his cross, and what's the word say? Follow. If there's no following, there's no salvation. You can't separate those people. You can't. There's something down deep in you because you've been regenerated by the Spirit that leads you further than just saying, I've got to get out of hell free card. You understand that, don't you, folks? It's living for Jesus. It's following Christ. And I'm not talking about putting a crucifix around your neck. That may look like a pretty piece of jewelry to you, but that's a picture of execution. So when you wear that cross, go ahead and tell people, I'm willing to die for the cause of Christ. You understand that, don't you? It's not some, just some sentimental, uh, another thing to put around our neck. The cross is what your Savior suffered on. And the Bible says we are to be crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live. Yet it's, not, yet it's not us that lives, but it's Christ that lives in us. So have you decided to be a real disciple and a learner? Have you decided to set your heart on Christ? Whatever Jesus calls me to be, that's what I'm going to be. Ha have you thought about that, young people? I'm going to live a life that denies self, that picks up the cross and follows Jesus. And again, in the ancient world, it wasn't some part of putting on a piece of jewelry. It was an instrument of cruel, barbaric execution. It was death. In other words, the, call, the real call to follow Jesus in the Bible is a call to death. It's a death to self, and it's a willingness to die for the cause of Christ. So the call to follow Jesus is to die. Have you settled it? Or are you just trying to live the American dream? Have you settled it? Or are you just trying to live the American dream? Let's say if we peeled off all the layers that we all have this morning, and believe me, we've all got them. We've all got layers. Let's say we peel off coming to church and the giving and all the externals, what's down deep in your heart? If the American dream is all that we're about, then guess what? That's your God. I'm just telling you. If you're pursuing it with all your heart, then that's your God. The American dream is no savior. That's an illusional idol. But you're at a crossroads today, regardless of your age. And there are two roads right before you. And I don't think the roads can be any clearer than they are at this moment. They're totally opposites. 
They're polar opposites. Death and life. The other is the road of compromise. Death, right? It's the road of compromise. It's to ignore God so that you can have a little bit more. You know what that's called? And everybody likes it. Let's have some ease in Zion. Let's just kick back and be at ease in Zion. Look, the Bible makes it clear that we can't be in ease in Zion. That we, the Bible's clear that we are to live for the Lord. Are you going to take the way of Christ? Listen, some of you kids are either in college or you're going off to college. Let me give you some advice. My advice may not mean anything to you and you probably don't care. But I'm going to give it to you anyway. Are you ready? Don't look at the top ten majors and calculate what can pay the most money. Here's a novel idea. Ask God what he wants to do with your life. Ask God, Lord, I lay it all on the altar. And it may be that you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. It may be that you're going to be a school teacher or a physicist. You may be all these things. But I'm telling you, if you'll lay it all on the altar and ask God to take your life and use it for his glory, he'll do it. He will oblige you. No matter where you are in your situation, in your choices, make sure you have in your mind this calculated reasoning that Jesus is better than anything this life can offer me now. And I'm telling you now, he's a whole lot better than anything that the other life can offer you when you're in glory. So understand this now. Please, ask God, what he wants you to do? What is it you want to do with my life? Father, what do you want me to do? I will do it. Casting Crowns has a song, and it puts like this. I'll take a shack on a rock over a castle in the sand. Amen? I'll take it. I'll take it. Amen? All right, thanks for listening. I was kind of wound up tight, wasn't I? I was kind of like the little boy who wanted to kiss his girlfriend. You ever heard about that? And he was riding on the way to church, and he thought to his mom and dad, he said, you know what, I need to ask mom and dad what they think about me kissing my girlfriend after Sunday school. Y'all like this, don't you, kids? Right? And so he says, Mom, I've got this desire to kiss my girlfriend. And she, she says, Son, we're driving at the church. Patent parent answer. We'll talk about it after church. Right? Don't worry about this right now. So he walks into the church and he figures if anybody can help him know if he should kiss his girlfriend, it's the pastor. So he walks up to the pastor and pulls his coattail and says, Pastor, I got a question for you. Can I kiss my girlfriend after Sunday school? And he says the pastoral thing. Pray about it, son. Just pray about it and maybe you'll know what to do. So let's say his name's little Johnny and he can't stand it. So he says, I got to pray about this. So he leaves Sunday school early. And he goes outside, but he didn't know little Billy had skipped Sunday school, and he was up a tree. And little Johnny kneels down under the tree, and he begins to pray. Father, Father, up above, may I kiss the one I love. And the little boy looked down and said, sinner, sinner, down below, pucker up and let her go. Right? <laughs> well, I just puckered up and let her go this morning, right? <laughs> Amen. Well, look, here's what your pastor would tell you. We need to live for God. Why do you think your youth guy had a, why do you think Jeffrey's doing a disciple now? It's not just so we can go to Silver Dollar City. And if you did, I hope you didn't ride the train, right? <laughs> Listen, we are trying to instill in you that there are polar opposites in this world. There's a way of life that's antithetical to the Christian. 
And we've blurred those lines so bad in our, in our culture, folks, that you can't tell the difference. Don't do that. If you're going to commit to Jesus, go all the way. What man wanting to build a building does not first count the cost? Y'all listening? What people would not first consider his army before he goes to war? Maybe you signed on to something that you don't really belong to or that you really don't want to do. And if you don't want to do it, just go ahead and get out. Right? Let's be honest. That's what that means. What man would go to war not thinking about the army before he goes? What man would build a building without thinking about the cost? I'm just going to tell you, I wouldn't trade this life for anything, but it will cost you. If you live for Christ, it will cost you. And you will line up with reproach to Christ all day long over the things of this world. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord God, help us. Father, we, we want to thank you for your love for us. We want to thank you for grace and mercy. God, would you raise up a group of young people who are unashamed of the gospel. Lord, we're not talking about being know-it-alls and Bible thumpers. We're just talking about being believers. Just New Testament believers who put their faith on the line. Lord, just all we have to do is read the book of Hebrews and find out that many of these people whose names are not recorded gave their lives for the gospel. And the Bible says the world was not worthy of them. God, raise up some people in our day that the world is not worthy of because we identify with you and we live for you. I need this in my own life. God, help me to think and calculate only on identifying with Jesus and what's right before you and not the things of this world. God, help us this morning. If there's someone lost, Lord, help them understand the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ that saves sinners. God saves sinners. Praise the Lord. Help them, Lord, to believe in faith and put their trust in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's sing that song the pastor just quoted a moment ago. I'd rather have Jesus. Let's stand together. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be
some good singing. How many of you had never heard I'd Rather Have Jesus? Raise your hand. Raise him up high. You never heard that song. Well, good. I think it's hymn number 550 in the Baptist hymnal. Uh, yeah, some of you like, whatever. What a song to remind us to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Another great song. We'd rather have him than anything. My wife is in ETC this morning. But y'all pick on her because tomorrow's her birthday and she'll be the big 5-0. And I've been 5-0 for a couple of years and she's been picking on me. And I know Lane recently turned 50, right? Uh, yeah, I had to bring that up. So my wife turns 50 tomorrow. So what a blessing she is to my life and I believe to this church family. But I, I just wanted to tell you that. Don had given me... Okay, Nola Embry has been hospitalized with RSV, and she's not doing well. Okay, that's one of uh, the twins, the, the twins uh, Corey and Liz, Embry's two babies, and Nola has RSV, so let's lift her to the Lord as we conclude today. All right? Tonight we have a normal, we're six months late, but tonight we have just a normal uh, give to you the info about our church life, finances, things like that. Uh, if you care about those things, and, I, and you should, please come back tonight as we go over those at 5.30. It won't be a long service, okay? We will have a few uh, updates on Vietnam, okay? We don't like to just have Baptist business meeting without something being on the spiritual. Well, that's spiritual too, you know. You know so. But the mission efforts in Vietnam, we want to hear that, okay? So that's tonight at 5.30, all right? God bless you. And one more thing, we do have a special treat. A couple of songs are going to be sung by our, our senior adult choir, our Vintage Voices. And they're going to, they do a fabulous job. You'll want to hear them lead you in worship tonight. So be sure and be back here at 530, okay? God bless you. See you tonight. <laughs> 